Welcome, everyone, to Champion Your Life with me, Leanne Champion. This is where we get to reflect, refine, and reboot your one precious life. In this space, we take a deeper look at what's holding you back. Maybe you want to show up differently for the people in your life. Maybe you're struggling with your emotional well-being. Maybe you feel as though something's missing and you want to get excited about your future. There's some good news. You can shift your perspective and begin to walk through the world in new, refreshing ways. I am a certified life and well-being coach who was called to create this show as a means to facilitate a journey of personal development. You have the power to change. Your life is precious. Don't waste another minute feeling unfulfilled. Champion Your Life starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Champion Your Life with me, Leanne Champion. I hope you're enjoying your day wherever you are. It's a beautiful fall one here in Connecticut. Today, we're going to actually talk to all the people pleasers out in the world. And more specifically, we're going to talk about becoming more aware of people pleasing tendencies and eventually learn how to implement our tagline, which is learn to speak your truth in love. Learn to speak your truth in love. So let me start out by painting a few scenes for you, just right off the bat. There's a woman out in the world who has tremendous anxiety because she wants to tell her boss that no, she won't work overtime for the third day this week, but she's terrified to do so. And there's also a man who feels very resentful in his relationship because he feels that he's always the one giving and his partner is always taking. And he's afraid of the reaction he will get if he addresses how he feels. And there's a teen out there in the world, desperately trying to fit in. And she's giving into peer pressure just to be accepted. And though these stories really differ, these people share a painful secret. They worry that if they are truly and authentically themselves, that they won't be loved and accepted. And they've spent their lives morphing into smaller, more acceptable versions of who they really are and so far away from the way that God truly created them. And with these just small examples, I wanna welcome you all to the world of people-pleasing. It's interesting to note right off the bat that people-pleasers don't usually seem like the kind of people that others look at and think, huh, I think they need some help. They're not the kind of people who send out obvious mental health red flags or who exhibit a tremendous amount of distress. In fact, they just seem like lovely, generous people who have it all together. And I'm going to just say right from the get-go, I love them and I get them and I understand them because I too was a people pleaser. I actually now refer to myself as a recovering people pleaser. But truly, in my teens and early 20s, I used to listen in awe as my friends splattered their bold 
unfiltered truths across our conversations. I mean, they had no problem telling it like it is. You know, and I, on the other hand, just wanted everyone to be good. I wanted everybody to be happy, no matter what. <laughs> Genuinely felt that it was my job somehow. And I would just jump through hoops to make sure everyone was okay. I was what you would call the peacemaker. I was the one that said, yes, sure. I can do that for you. I'll figure that out for you. <laughs> I was convinced that somehow I could make it work for everyone. It was really wild, right? But I really tried. Somewhere along the line, I think it, I started, I think around in my 30s, I started to realize and come to the conclusion that people pleasing was really way too exhausting. And that exhaustion, I real, realized in that exhaustion, we tend to lose ourselves really fast. In a way, it's interesting. People pleasing can be very addictive. I mean, it does feel good to help others, right? But if it's at the expense of you, it can become debilitating. You know, the problem for people pleasers is that they inevitably run out of people pleasing steam. I mean, what starts off as a genuine desire to love and please others can turn into resentment, right? And good old fashioned anger. So human, right? I mean, people pleasers can only please so much before they crack. And some will crack and you will never know it. Their behavior might be a little different, a little passive aggressive or sarcastic and with seemingly no reason. But you know what? There's always a reason. In the years since my more extreme people pleasing youthful days, my coaching has led me to speak with other recovering people pleasers. And I have found it fascinating in my research that People-pleasing is actually learned at a very young age, and often it will involve a parent or a caregiver who has very little patience and gets set off easily. And when we're little, we figure out that there's almost a formula, right, for this child-parent dynamic. If we please that parent, that parent will stay calm, right, and happy. And once we figure this out, Ah, well, we keep this tool handy because then we realize, oh my goodness, this works with a lot of different kinds of people. Interesting to acknowledge that this skewed tool can stay with us if we aren't careful for a lifetime. Now, within a family, a form of people-pleasing could show itself by humor. I mean, if you can make someone laugh, I mean, wow, that can settle a room, can't it? It can deflect any negativity going down. So at its core, people-pleasing can be a form of defense, can it? I think all the families in the world should thank the people-pleasers because they did a lot to keep the peace within their families. But you can see where it could be a very fine line for the people-pleaser themselves as they often take on the brunt of the energy. But within family, people pleasers are seen, really seen as thoughtful and kind, and they truly are, but there's also a part of them that desires reciprocation of some kind. They do what they can to please others with the hope 
of receiving similar treatment in return. It's interesting. When we are people pleasers, we are often looking into the another person's eyes and immediately trying to guess what it is it that they want me to do. And often when we think we figured it out, we haven't processed it yet, but we'll just go out and do it, whatever it is. And why? Why do we do that? For so many people, it's wrapped up in our own self-worth. Some people find their, their self-worth by the approval of others. And I have found in my own life, that's a very slippery slope. So in order to create that independence and happiness for ourselves as we age, when we are breaking patterns of people pleasing, we need, we need to actually look into our own eyes, right? And not revert to maybe how we were with our parents and actually ask, wait a minute, what do I think? How would I feel doing this? And what would please me? It's funny though, for so many people pleasers, that is the last thing they would think of doing. It's it's just not even on their radar. They are so accustomed to looking outside of themselves, actually preferring to do things for other people. And boy, oh boy, there is a fine line between helping others and being a people pleaser. And mistaking one for the other can be detrimental to our soul, to our well-being. I love this slide that I'm gonna show you all. When you engage in people pleasing, you are out of integrity with yourself, your goals, and your dreams, and your life's mission. I'm going to say it again because it's so powerful. When you engage in people pleasing, you are out of integrity with yourself, your goals, and your dreams, and your life's mission. I can remember a powerful moment for me when I was letting go of some of my people-pleasing scenarios. And one of them, I was serving on a board and that had really, truly been life-changing for me for many years, but now was actually going a different direction. And I, believe, I began to realize I no longer belonged on that board. It had nothing to do with them. It was more that I realized that my skill sets didn't really match their new vision. And that was okay, but it was one of those moments that I had to really ask myself, wow, so Leanne, why is it hard for you to leave this board? And I realized it was the connection, right? We're all wired for connection to other people. But then I had to take it a step further. I had to say, are you staying to people, please, the others? Or did I just not want to say goodbye to this tribe? You know what? I actually think it was a little bit of everything. So what did I do in this situation? I stopped. I paused. And I did what I teach you all now. I reflected. I refined. And I rebooted. And I left that board. I've spoken with so many people who are working towards conquering their people-pleasing patterns. And some may be recovering from codependent relationships and are now setting more empowered boundaries for themselves. But most importantly, what's so beautiful to see is that they're learning the art of speaking their truth in love. I mean, if you spend the majority of your time focused on others' needs, I mean, you are going to 
drain yourself and be emotionally deficient 95% of the time, solely focusing on other people. And that's where the math never works in your favor, right? It only highlights a major issue in your life because a people pleaser really is just accommodating dysfunction. And ironically, the dysfunction shows up in both people's lives, the people pleaser and the person being pleased. So I want to just give you three simple steps that are so simple <laughs> that you won't forget them, which is awesome, right? Number one, if it drains you, or if it causes you resentment, or if someone doesn't reciprocate in your life, you need to pause and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Once again, if it drains you, if it causes resentment, or if someone does not reciprocate, you need to reflect, refine, and reboot. I think this very simple tool will in fact paint a bigger picture of how to get beyond the level of draining your own emotional bank account. Remember, this is key. Giving, caring, and pleasing others is supposed to come from such a purely enthusiastic and compassionate place. It should not involve any anger or resentment or hope of reciprocation. So it's interesting, if that seeps in while you're giving, then you're really not giving anything pure, right? You're merely sacrificing yourself. And I know one will argue that sacrifice is noble and kind and bold, but doing it every day with everyone or many, many people in your life, you know somewhere that deep down inside, it's just not a great way to roll. Here's just one more interesting thought. What if um, disappointing people doesn't necessarily have to be a red light? Doesn't have to be a bad thing. What if sometimes it's actually a sign that you are merely aligning with the best version of yourself? Ever thought of looking at it that way? We're going to go for a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to blow our own minds and discuss four truisms around people pleasing that will help you to break this pattern for good. And I promise you might be hearing yourself in some of these examples, but it's okay. You've been listening to Champion Your Life with me, and we're going to be right back. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Day-to-day living can be difficult in our world today. Most of us don't know how to live a peaceful, joy-filled existence. Learn how to break through these barriers and live a transformative life on Love and Light with me, Dr. Lisa, every day living in peace, every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To work with Dr. Lisa, visit EducationThroughEngagement.com. champion your life and we're talking to all those people pleasers out there in the world there's a lot of us 
We are now looking at the four truisms that will help you break people-pleasing patterns. So here we go. Truism number one, if you don't speak your truth, your truth will speak to you through your health. I'm going to repeat that. If you don't speak your truth, your truth will speak to you through your health. Whew. It's a big one, right? At first, staying silent to uh, keep the peace sounds like a really, really good idea. I mean, why should we speak the truth in love and deal with others' negative reactions when we could just, you know, stomach our own discomfort? No. Those of us who play the role of peacekeeper in our families of origin will find this approach familiar and maybe even comfortable. But the real truth is, and hear me, External peace does not create inner peace. I'm going to repeat that. External peace does not create inner peace for us. When we stay silent and keep it in, ironically, those around us may in fact seem blissfully unaware. But we will feel the repercussions both physically and emotionally. When we stifle our voice for long periods of time, we can feel anxiety, anger, jaw tension, sleepless nights, stomach aches, and sadly, even depression. But when we become recovering people pleasers, we recognize, we recognize that the truth in love isn't some silly, cheesy self-help mantra. No, in fact, it's truly necessary for our emotional and physical well-being. Truism number two. Expecting others to read our minds is a recipe for resentment and anger. Truism number two, expecting others to read our minds is a recipe for resentment and anger. You know, I used to think that if the people really knew me and loved me, that they would predict my needs too. Wrong. I was often disappointed when others didn't show that they cared in the way that I wanted them to. I mean, what is the matter with them? How come they didn't know? When we assume that others should share the same definition of being cared for, I think that's when we really get ourselves in trouble. I mean, you might be longing for your partner to say, I, I love you. You are amazing. But instead, he shows his love by changing the tires on your car instead. In Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, he, he really beautifully depicts the ways in which people show love. And they're all different. They include words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And I think that's incredible. I think we should all avoid the guessing game here in relationships and actually communicate our needs to our mates and significant others. When we take the time to explain ourselves to loved ones, it helps to avoid all sorts of mixed messages, right? Mixed signals that could lead to really painful miscommunication. But I think when we take the time to explain ourselves to those we love, so much is possible. Respect blossoms. Love gets healthier. It's, it's just a win-win. Truism number three. Caregiving can actually become selfish when we don't have a strong foundation of self-love. 
I know, I gotta say this one again for you. Caregiving can actually become selfish when we don't have a strong foundation of self-love. It's, it's really interesting how many people pleasers take care of others because it gives them a, a sense of value. And we will often structure I, our identities around being reliable, right? Generous, good listeners, and maybe even self-sacrificial. And I first just wanna say, all right, nothing wrong with all of those beautiful attributes. However, if we give to others without taking care of ourselves, without developing our own interests, we may find that our need to be needed is our only purpose in life. And then what happens? Our well runs dry. And this also means that we may insist on caregiving even when our efforts are no longer required, requested, or welcomed, which ironically on the flip side can violate someone else's boundaries and autonomy. Stay with me in simpler terms. Someone might be saying to you, I've got this now, but you are not listening. So the lesson in this is just give yourself the same degree of love and care that you want to regularly give to others. Take that quiet time for you. Plan that month out. Take that exercise class. Treat yourself to a delicious dinner. This way, this way, when you do decide to care for others, you can do so with zero strings and zero guilt attached. Does that make sense? This is really something so many people need to consider. And truism number four, just because it feels awkward to state your needs and set proper boundaries, don't panic. It, it only means it's new to you. Just because it feels awkward to state your needs and set proper boundaries, don't panic. It only means it's new to you. So interesting, many of the people that I've spoken with will tell me how scary it feels to state their needs at first. I mean, for them, it just was like ah, impossible, terrifying, overwhelming. I'm sure some of you can relate. However, that discomfort should be seen as a natural growing pain. I mean, after all, breaking the people-pleasing pattern in our lives means rewriting the scripts that you've been following since childhood. Perhaps as a child, you were told that speaking your truth made you unlovable. Or perhaps you were bullied in school for being different and made fierce efforts to blend in as a result. It's so important to understand that you were breaking years of decade-long patterns of making yourself either small or maybe even agreeable, maybe both. But the good news is all of this will feel challenging, less challenging with practice. I mean, every time you do it, less challenging every time. And I also want you all just for a moment to reconsider the emotions of anxiety and discomfort in these instances. Instead of interpreting the feelings of anxiety as a sign that somehow, oh no, I'm doing it wrong, while you're stopping, right? A pattern of people pleasing. I want you to reframe it. 
reframe that anxiety and discomfort as a sign of growth. Yes, that you are indeed doing something new and positive. And yes, there's going to be some discomfort involved. Yes, you might feel anxiety, but you are growing as well. So interesting. After setting a boundary, many of my clients will say, oh, my gosh, I suddenly feel like just this really bad person, like a bad wife or bad husband, a bad colleague, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. You are not. You are not. I want you to hear me on this. But you know what's happening here? What's happening is your nervous system needs to catch up with you, with all your growth. And sometimes it just takes a little time. But it will catch up. You will begin to understand this process and let it flow. So just when you're feeling that discomfort, all that anxiety, don't panic. Just Breathe and know you are on the right track. You know, in wrapping all of this up, there are are just few things that will affect you in life as much as being a people pleaser. And I mean both in business and in life. I believe this shows up for many people in some capacity. And it's interesting. We can have broken the people pleasing pattern in several areas, but it may still show up in a few other areas. And if we are not conscious and aware, what we do in those moments is we basically hand the reins of our lives over to someone else. And I want you to remember that you are not usually their number one interest. You know, it's really important to choose and be wise about who we include in our lives. God has wired us for relationships and he wants us to be wise and choose carefully. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Please choose the right people who also care about you, with whom you have a deep connection. They'll stand alongside you even when you decide something they don't like. The ones who want to control you are only there to get something from you. They most likely will be mad at you when you make a decision that they don't agree with. Better to find that out now rather than later. I want to encourage you that by setting boundaries, you have just done some serious, life-changing, recovering, people-pleasing work. And this doesn't happen in a day or a week. It's often just part of this emotional intelligence journey of our lives. This takes time and effort to grow. But you know what? Boy, is it worth it. Reach out if you need any help. I'm always available to champion your life. Thank you for listening to Champion Your Life with me, Leanne Champion on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To find out more about me and my coaching platform, visit ChampionYourLife.com. That's championyourlife.com. You have one precious life. Let's live it to your fullest potential. Let's go. Let's do this together. See you next time. Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. 
Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. You know, you all have heard me talk about growing up with a woman that was born in the South, the Deep South. And there are many things I've learned about the South and many things that I am also so acutely aware of, drawn to, and will always be in my bones. But the latest statistics on the state of education for students of color and low-income students in Southern United States is not just profoundly shocking, but if my mom were here today, she would have a call to action so great that I'd be out there with her on the streets as we did as children. Joining me here today are two incredible people, Raymond Pierce and Megan Crow. All I can say is this, Raymond is the CEO of the Southern Education Foundation, and Megan joins us here as a senior research and policy analyst for Southern Education Foundation. So what you're about to hear today are real numbers, real information. And the question has to be, what can you do? What can we do? Has anything changed since my mom walked the planet? Welcome to both of you, Raymond, Megan. It's great to have you both joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I am a researcher myself, so anytime I get a report or anytime I get information like this, I always look at the numbers and check and double check and triple check and (laughs) whatever checking. But this is, to use the word inequity is probably an understatement, but it's really so odd that in the world we're living in today, we're still talking about this. Uh, Raymond, Megan, Raymond, let's start with you. In the world today, we're still talking about this, right? Right, unfortunately. Um, I want to ask you both this first question, and then we'll get to the statistics. I want to know from each of you, what is it that gets you up every day? You know, what is the thing that has touched your heart, that has called you to step forward on a life path that shines awareness on inequity? And in some, in some cases, injustice, what is it for each of you, Raymond? Let's start with you. Well, uh, good question. And I'm a little bit older than Megan, and I've been uh, in this fight for civil rights for, for many, many years on a number mm. of angles. And, and I'm, I'm also, interestingly, a, a recent graduate divinity school. So I kind of look at this differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at this in the macro. I look at this as to purpose and clearly inequity or disparity or unfairness is i just don't believe that's the what you know the way life is supposed to be no um and that and that uh, the inopportunities you know the oppression 
the disparities are because self-interest has been allowed to prevail. Self-interest, fear, discrimination has been allowed to prevail in our policies and practices all the way up to, to this day. And this is nothing new. The people who actually created what is now the Southern Education Foundation, m- many of them were abolitionists who abolished slavery. Uh, we go back before the Civil War mm-hmm. um, and, and it started right after the Civil War. And there were, have always been people in this nation, a black, white, whomever, who have felt that uh, we cannot go on as a people um, if we, with, with inhumanity baked into our systems and inhumanity, whether it's slavery, inhumanity, whether it's Jim Crow, discrimination, just whatever, that's inhumanity. We cannot exist and do well as a people um, uh, if, if we treat one another like this. So um, I, I look at it that way. So I wake up every morning, particularly now at this point in my career, and I feel myself fortunate, if not blessed, to be you know, the president of the Southern Education Foundation, uh, advancing this historic over 154, 55 year mission of advancing opportunity, education opportunity for African Americans in the South and now students of color. And quite frankly, our original charter included poor whites back in 1867. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I really, I, I get on fire. And, and so to have people like Megan Crow on our team to do this type of lengthy research that guides us in our policy recommendations and guides us in our conversations with, with legislators and policymakers to develop better policies and practices. Uh, for the education of our children. I get excited about it just about every day I get up. Wow. Thank you so much. Megan, how about you? What is it that literally touches your heart every day? Uh, Thanks for that question. You know, if you ask my mom growing up, she'd tell you I had a justice bone from the start. (laughs) But I have traveled enough to realize that Americans are really given a deficit mindset. This idea that I have to take from you to get what I need. And it's not true. Uh, We all do better when we work together to achieve results. It costs us less as a nation to prevent problems than it does to treat them. And I, you know, I just, I have a young child myself, and I just feel very moved and aware of the level of privilege and opportunities that he has that other people don't. And I also recognize that if half of us are doing poorly, if half of us are in poverty or are unable to meet our needs, that actually depresses my sons and my economic opportunities as well. And I just really wish that as a society, Americans would think in a more collective way and understand we all do better when we're working together. I'm on the same page as both of you. And and I know that every day I'm shocked at what I hear. Um, Let me just be very, very clear. I mean, the fact that I, 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 I am witnessing in my lifetime after being an advocate, a protester, you name it, for almost all of my life, to see an equal pay for women bill get crushed in the Senate, and then to even be talking about voting rights. So let's talk about how important it is for us all to get educated, right? Because I did a poll, and I asked close to 30 to 40 women if they even knew that there was an equal pay bill on the table, one out of 40 did. So let's talk about where education lies in order for all of us to come together as humanity. Raymond? So well stated. Um, Awareness is critical. Awareness of the disparities alone, like the one you just pointed out in terms of uh, equal pay. Uh, there are just some data and points of information 
that the major population of masses just don't know. Mm. And we're constantly finding ourselves being distracted um, by uh, things that will divide us. Uh, whereas um, the things that, you know, that unite people where there's a common interest and common values are much larger. And things like everybody wants to, their children to have an opportunity for a good education. Everybody wants to be able to go to a grocery store and be able to afford good food. Everyone wants to be able to live in a safe neighborhood. Everyone wants to be free of, 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 of harassment. Everyone wants to be able to have access to, to capital to finance their dreams, whether it's a loan for a small business or whatever. But the, the bad, sad reality is today, because of, 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 of bad policies and bad practices, inequitable policies and inequitable practices, quite frankly, selfishness and greed uh, amongst a few, these disparities just continue to sadly linger on. It is sadly linger on. And so reports like ours are there to point that out and point to a better way, po po policies and suggestions and solutions that could better address this. And it's nothing new. It's nothing that we don't know in our right mind would be better you know, for, 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 our, for our entire nation, if not the entire world. It's just getting around those the, the selfishness and um, that unfortunately continues to uh, pervade throughout our policies. Mm. And thank you for both of you. Thank you for both of you again shining a light on this. Because I'll tell you what, if we don't keep shining a light on things like this, what happens with that is the dark takes over, and then we have to catch up. Megan, let's talk with you a little bit about this. You know, this is something you're you're an analyst. You see the numbers. You're watching things. You're looking at you know, levels of awareness. Um, I want to ask you this question. Um, how correct am I when I said before, you know, some things have not changed? Oh, well, you know, I would say not only have things not changed, but some of them have gotten worse. There you go. Uh, for example, but children eligible for free or reduced price lunch uh, lunches. That is a federal program, and the percentage of students that are able to receive free and reduced price lunches in schools has increased almost 10 percentage points in the last decade. Um, you know, and workplace policies that were instituted back in the 1930s that protected certain industries predominantly worked by white males, those protections continue to this day to not protect workers in certain industries, like um, agriculture is one example. As well, they don't, as you pointed out, protect women to the same extent. Also, we see white men uh, more often employed, more often promoted to positions of leadership, and then they become more likely to continue to promote people that look and, you know, talk like them. And so black leaders, uh, other leaders of color are continuously passed over for jobs for which they are equally, if not more qualified and this is depressing the economic outcomes of generations over time. So things that happened historically 100 years ago are not only still with us, but the compounding negative impacts have grown over the course of years and further depressed each subsequent generation's outcomes. You know, what I'm really struck by is, and first of all, thank you for sharing that. Here's what I'm really struck by. And I know this is a short interview, so I want to really try to honor your time. But before I ask my next question, how do people find out more about exactly what we're talking about and what you all are doing? Raymond, you want to give us that information? Well, it's on our website, uh, www.southerneducation.org. Um, 
and um, uh, our, our, our new report that's coming out uh, now uh, is, is right on that page. But you can mm-hmm. go on our website and find out uh, much of what we're doing, a lot of our publications uh, and, and our announcements. Yeah, and I want to say to everybody, if you go there, you'll be able to see right on the home page, there's a fact sheet. Um, if you go to the resource section uh, of the site, you'll also see a blog, publication, news, and events. There's a lot here. But most importantly, when you go to the website, there's something very interesting that I grew up with. You know, it's a word that my mom always put forward to us about who we were going to become in the world, and that's called the challenge. Um, I want to ask each of you, this is more than just a fact sheet and research. For me, this is a call to action. I was talking with a, a, a number of uh, you know, colleagues of mine, and I said, uh, can we get together? Because I want to plan for what we're going to do, the next million person march that we're going to do uh, once the switch is flipped on COVID. And they, lo- they looked at me on a call and they said, that could be a year from now. And I said, okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to sit and do nothing? Or are you going to try to think ahead on what you're going to do to cause a change? That's what I want to ask each of you in parting. What is your pers- personal message? What is your call to action for people that will hear this? People in the United States, but all over the world about get involved get involved get involved (laughs) get involved people get the facts uh make sure that uh, look at the facts and and check the references and the resources for the facts there's so much misinformation out there Mm. and a lot of that misinformation is designed to make people feel good about the status quo um people should not feel good about the status quo and people should understand that the disparities uh and and many of the problems that we exist that exists today that visited upon certain populations of this country are by design. Uh, they were baked in. Um, slavery was by design. Jim Crow was by design. Redlining was by design. And the vestiges and the, and the, and the, and the, the, the remnants of that continue on to this day. Uh, and, and, and the facts are there, the, the, the facts are there. So just, you know, please people get involved, educate yourself, and then, and then get involved with your legislators and your elected officials to bring about policies and practices that uh, are good for all of us, all citizens of this country and not just for a few. Mm, Raymond, thank you. Megan, how about you? What do you want to leave us with today? Uh, My message for today, I think, would just be that like it or not, we have to all get together. Um, You know, the inequities that disproportionately affect black and brown kids in the U.S. ultimately do affect everybody. You might not see it readily in your homes or in your daily lives, But once we get out into the workforce and we talk about the U.S.'s ability to stay competitive on the global marketplace, we are losing significant ground. And I know that everybody cares about having a thriving economy in which they live. So if we treat the most underserved among us, we treat everybody in the state. So we need to get together and all do this for everyone because the results that are yielded for a black child out in a rural Southern state affect my kids' future. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much to both of you again. uh, Megan, give us that website. Yes. The website is www.southerneducation.org. Thank you. Thank you so much to both of you and you all out there, please check it out. Yes, there is something you could do. Let's take a short break. We'll see you in a minute.
Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on for a good news segment. Now, look, many of you have heard me talk about what it's like to one day wake up and be cut off from the people that you're so accustomed to being around. But what is it that we've learned from this? Well, I'm not the expert in here. Dr. Lee Lindquist is chief of geriatrics at Northwestern Medicine. And here's the thing. Social isolation, as bad as smoking for seniors. Wow. Dr. Lindquist, great to have you here. Yeah, yeah. thanks to have me too. Yeah. So my listeners have heard me kind of like talk about the fact that, you know, one day all of us are up playing table tennis and, you know, we have great facilities here for seniors and they start at a fairly young age. Like our senior center is like 55 or something. I don't even know, but this is a gathering place and people were so just distraught. They were just so in pain by the isolation what have you discovered about the isolation from this pandemic? Yeah, so um, I'm a geriatrician, so I take care of older adults, and I'm what? an expert when it comes to senior care. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're seeing is that people are experiencing significant cognitive loss um, and physical function loss uh, with this isolation. So people who normally just have a few senior moments, it's increasing. The number of senior moments are increasing. People are forgetting to do things that they normally have been able to do. And so it's really taking an impact on people's health. And so that's one thing that we're seeing more and more is that as this isolation continues, people are really struggling with it. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a bold statement to say it's as bad as smoking. But I know from everything that I've talked to people about, it really is. Tell us what people, seniors are experiencing. What have they been experiencing? Well, pretty much they've been experiencing living in a nursing home. Mm. Um, if you think about living in four walls um, and not being able to go outside and it just having a TV in your room, this is like being in a nursing home. And so we've seen so many times, and there's so many studies out there, that if you don't exercise your brain, your, or if you don't exercise your muscles and you think of your brain as a muscle, it tends to go to sludge. And so when we hear people that say, oh, so-and-so went into a nursing home and their cognition got really bad. Yeah. I mean, this is what we're seeing is that older adults who are isolating, um, rightly so to avoid COVID are actually having cognition problems. And we're seeing this over and over again. You know, I want to ask you this question because I've had this conversation before and it seems like we are baffled as to what to do, but I believe there are things that we can do. And I believe there are things that, you know, whether it's assisted living or, you know, someplace where a senior is residing now, there are things we could do. Is awareness really the issue here that people are not aware that this is the effect and therefore they don't think there's anything, any action to take? I, I think it's actually more than awareness because I feel like it's it, there's no pill, there's no easy medicine to take to make it better. Mm -hmm. um, what I usually recommend people do is that they need to socially stimulate more, you know, give people calls, call your friends, call other seniors, reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while, 
um, listen to a show like the Pat show, the Dr. Pat show and contact others and say, I listen to this great show. Um, actively socially stimulate yourselves and others. And then the other thing is to exercise. We know that exercise can improve cognition, um, can delay cognitive loss. Um, and that's something that we haven't been able to do because of COVID. And so the more exercise, the less sitting, even if you sit five minutes less a day, um, your thinking is going to be better. Your muscles are going to function better and you're going to be healthier. Um, you know, Dr. Lindquist, you are, you've been featured in hundreds of media venues. You've been on pretty much every television network out there. This is beyond a conversation. This is your passion and your purpose. Tell me, tell me what has touched your heart early on to have this become a life path for you. Yeah, and um, thank you for that. Um, I uh, grew up closely with my grandparents and they lived in rural Wisconsin and they were the youngest of seven and the youngest of five. So we were always visiting people in the nursing home, always visiting people you know, who are older and remote. Um, and it just really showed me that these were people um, who definitely needed good care, who definitely needed more support. Um, and they weren't always getting the best healthcare and they weren't always getting treated well. And so that's why I'm, it's a passion of mine that we need to treat our seniors better. Um, but then we also have to help our caregivers, our family members of loved one, help connect them to the correct or to the right care. Um, and in geriatrics, there's not enough geriatricians to go around to help all the seniors out there. And so with Northwestern Geriatrics, we've been able to build a program where we can offer telehealth no matter where you are in the country. And you can get a geriatric evaluation for your loved one um, over the phone or over a Zoom call. And so if people are interested, they can definitely reach out to us at Northwestern Medicine Geriatrics, which is nm.org backslash geriatrics, um, because it's so important that we take care of our seniors, because if we're lucky, we'll all be seniors someday. <laughs> um, and we need to keep it going. We need to pass on the, uh, the goodness. And tell everybody how they can find out more about this, how they can find out more about, you know, what you all are doing. What's the best website for people to go to? Yeah, so it's the Northwestern Medicine Geriatrics website, which is nm.org backslash geriatrics. Um, so let's talk for a minute on solutions. Uh, we cannot emphasize enough that isolation takes many forms many forms. The very fact that perhaps one day you were communicating with people, whether it be in assisted living, whether it be in a senior home, it doesn't matter, but you were communicating one day and the next day you were not. It seems like the general consensus is, well, they can just do a Zoom call. That is not exactly how this works, but there are solutions. Um, even if we look at something as this simple stair machine that you sit down and you use that the family could buy for their parents. There are solutions, aren't there, to keep the body moving, to keep people fresh. Yeah, one of my favorite Christmas gifts that I saw people passing around, um, and you can even think about like future birthday presents or just because presents were Fitbit watches or like those Garmin watches. Yeah. Where I've had a couple seniors that bought it for other senior friends and then they all compete to see how many steps they take. <laughs> or we've seen uh, grandkids have a Fitbit watch and the grandparent have a Fitbit watch. 
um, or Garmin watch, whichever one, and then they can give each other, you know, cheers and like fireworks if they hit a specific target or they say, okay, grandma's not moving as much, let's get her moving um, and kind of prompt her um, to get going. And I think it's also a fun way. We think of intergenerational discussions and intergenerational um, stimulation as being huge. Because if you can have uh, grandkids interacting more with grandparents, whether it's teaching them how to use technology or, you know, texting back and forth, these are things that will stimulate the senior, but then also give value to the senior from a, mm-hmm. a, from a uh, grandparent or grand, uh, grandchild view. Um, because we know that if a grandchild treats the parent, treats the grand, if a grandchild treats the grandparent well, then there's a good chance that they'll treat their own parents well. Yeah, I love that we're talking about this because, you know, we have to we have to get innovative around this. You know, my friends, uh, mom and dad, they have these what is it called? Sudoku contests where they all get the same book and they all go through it and they have, you know, these prizes that they've created for people that can get through it, that want to do that. There's so many different things that I'm finding that are becoming innovative to really support each other. And it's really fascinating how sophisticated this has gotten. I I mean, if you want a clue, you have to give up a cookie or something. I I love it, by the way. I just love it. And I'm glad you're mentioning it um, because like people are like, uh, one of the things that we're practicing or trying here is Uh, for our research is that we're actually putting the Oculus, those VR uh, virtual reality headsets you see advertised all the time. We're actually putting them on seniors as well as grandchildren um, and seeing how they walk through Paris together, even though they're in two different states um, and seeing how they interact. So it's very interesting how we can harness technology to support our seniors. Well, I love what you're doing. I love that you're coming out here. I know that I live in the Pacific Northwest. And one of the things that we are, how should I say it? Our senior population are nationally ranked table tennis players. I'm just going to put it out like that. But we also uh, support the Bat Foundation because we found that the studies on a special type of ping pong table is so good for the brain. And so we've been really out there in the state of Washington, really pushing this forward and really saying to these places, look, this is just another thing you can do. We don't know why the science shows the improvement in brain functionality, but it does. How do people get involved? Because if we're not getting involved in this, we're not going to come up with ideas. You know what I'm saying? No, and I love the table tennis idea. I will say growing up um, with my grandparents, we actually had a table tennis set downstairs and we would play for hours, um, table tennis. So I I actually can beat my kids hands down anytime we come across the table. So I love that um, a lot of your listeners are table tennis players, but it comes down to, you know, actually reaching out to people. And that's not always something that we're comfortable with is reaching out to others and checking on them, talking to them, um, whether it's a person that we haven't talked to in a long time, um, there's this need to not bother people. I don't want to bother them, but yeah, Mm -hmm. we should be bothering them. We should be stimulating them. We should be talking to them. Um, And the other thing too, is to, you know, speak to the physicians, speak to the geriatricians that are involved in their care um, to see if there's anything that more that can be done to help support them. Now, I know we have like two minutes left, but I must ask you this question. I don't think our listeners really understand why isolation is so dangerous. 
I work with women in addiction and recovery, and I know firsthand why isolation, regardless of age, is so dangerous. But why is it so dangerous for seniors? Yeah, so isolation worsens your memory, it worsens your physical function, and it worsens your mood. So isolation is as bad as smoking, and that's why we're trying to help people be less isolated. Well, I want to thank you for today. I know that you have so many of these interviews to do, but I also would like to remind people again, how do they find out more? You know, Dr. Lindquist, how do they get involved? And then I'd like to know your personal message, what you'd like to leave us with today. Yeah, so they, people can reach us at nm.org backslash geriatrics, which is the Northwestern Medicine Geriatrics website. Um, and my statement would be to stay well, reach out to people around you, talk to them, and sit less every day. Get some exercise in those bodies. I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Lee Lindquist, expert in the field, passionate about what we can do to improve the life, the lifestyle, and the longevity of our most precious, precious asset, our senior folks.